Hi, friends. Before we start our beautiful Dear Nikki Mama podcast with the wonderful Dr. Stephanie Hansen, we just want to put a little uh, advisory at the beginning and let you know <laughs> that there are some extra noises in the background because they are adding some beautiful additional parking to their clinic. And so there are some beeping in trucks. And so those of you who have children who like truck noises, maybe this will be a fun <laughs> podcast for them to listen to. That being said, the content in this podcast is incredible. It is so informative, and you have to, have to, have to listen. So have a wonderful day and enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas. Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. This is Martha and Ashley. This week, we have a very super special guest. It's a local pediatrician to the Fargo-Moorhead area. Her name is Dr. Stephanie Hansen. Say hello, Dr. Hansen. Hi, mamas. It's nice to talk to you all today. <laughs> we are so excited to have her. I think she's probably one of the most, if not the most respected pediatricians in the area. Um, and we wanted to have her on today to talk specifically about cold and flu <laughs> and RSV. Um, we know that this in particular is a big stressor for NICU moms and we just wanted to get the baseline information and answer some of your questions. Take so, you off of Google yes, and have an actual doctor be able to answer yeah. some of your questions. So. Yeah. Do you want to just say a little bit about yourself and just about your practice a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a general pediatrician. Um, that means that I see kids of all ages from newborns through their teenage years into early adulthood. I've been practicing here in Fargo for 11 years, so I've had a chance to take care of a lot of NICU grads <laughs> yeah. over that amount of time. I and I would say cold and flu is a terrifying topic for all parents mm -hmm. um, but especially parents of NICU grads because mm -hmm. it's just it, we know the risks of getting colds and flu mm -hmm. and what it can do to babies over time yeah yeah absolutely and that's why we're here it's yes. so exciting okay mm -hmm. so let's start at the beginning the basics what is the flu? What is the cold? What's the difference? What's RSV? What's, RSV? <laughs> yeah. What's the vaccine all about? You know? Yeah, absolutely. So the the flu is kind of the the common term we use for an inf infection called influenza. Um, influenza has been around for centuries. It's been a plague of humankind for for way way way. Cool. Back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it is a virus that causes a respiratory illness. So it can cause high fever, uh, runny nose and congestion, cough, body aches, and uh, it's very common. Yeah. Very, very common. And it uh, circulates, you know, around the world, and we tend to see it in this part of the country um, in those winter months, you know, the, you know, January, February, March is kind of our typical flu season here in North Dakota and Minnesota. Sure. So that's influenza. RSV is another type of viral respiratory infection. So also very common. It sounds scary because it has a name. Yeah. It has a very intimidating yes. sounding name. But I think about it as just, you know, kind of a bad chest cold. Mm -hmm. So young children, when they get RSV, well, can have fevers, runny nose, mm -hmm. cough, congestion, 
Sounds familiar. Sounds yeah. like influenza. Mm -hmm. um, and, and both influenza and RSV can cause some complications in babies and young children. And that includes things like pneumonia, ear infections, sinus infections. And sometimes kids can get pretty sick from both of those things. Right. And I assume the reason that it's really talked about at discharge for NICU families is because NICU babies are, are more susceptible to yes, it. Yes, so babies who are premature, who have ongoing chronic medical illnesses, are more prone to having complications from RSV and influenza. So that's why it's particularly scary for that group. Yeah, I definitely remember at discharge being told what RSV was because it's part of the discharge mm -hmm. education. And they're like, don't get RSV, bye! And I was like, what? <laughs> it's so scary. Um, so I, I think that's why, because you really don't hear about it, I think, until you need to know. Mm -hmm. So it definitely is, was a question for me about what the heck is this thing? Well, and I think when you're in the NICU, you're in this bubble, and then all of a sudden they're like telling you about the world outside of the bubble that you've kind of forgotten about because you haven't had to really exist in it. Right. And then you're thinking like, how in the world am I going to like bring my baby to Target if all these diseases exist? Yes, and so it I can know. be very scary for an Right, family. especially because you, you go from like not being allowed to touch your cell phone to being out in the world exposed to every human being on earth. Our NICU staff is so amazing at yes. protecting those vulnerable little babies mm -hmm. from infection. And like you said, the rules are really strict. <laughs> yeah. And you do get this feeling and sense of security while they're mm -hmm. th while you're there mm -hmm. that you just can't duplicate after yeah. discharge. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I Absolutely. think the thing to remember is that when you're ready for discharge, your baby is already so much healthier than mm -hmm. they were when they were first yeah. born. And they have a little bit greater ability to be out in the world. You know, mm -hmm. they're better at regulating their temperature. They're better at eating. Mm -hmm. They've gained some weight. So they've mm -hmm. got some protection that way. And I think that's one thing that, that really is reassuring to me is that if the NICU team says you're ready to be out in the world, mm -hmm. you're ready. Yeah, right. that's a good thing to remember Absolutely. for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and probably part of it comes from the, the sense of, just the lack of a control that's emphasized when you have a NICU baby. So you are given these rules in the NICU, like if you do X, Y, and Z, your baby will do well. And then they do great. And then you go out into the world, and then those rules don't really exist anymore, so you lose your sense of control a little mm -hmm. bit. I mean, that wasn't me at all. <laughs> um, anyway, so I think now, if it's okay with you, we have a couple questions that we had NICU moms writing about, and I think they covered a lot of the the topics that we we wanted to talk about today um the first is about the flu vaccine and before we get into those could you tell us about the flu vaccine what it is and what it is not yes. is it alive is there a monster in it do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so the the flu vaccine that we use is a killed vaccine meaning there's no live virus in it and mm. it's given as an injection you can start it as early as six months of age um, and it is the most effective tool that we have for preventing death from influenza for preventing serious complications of influenza. Um, so it, it, I say, is the best tool we have in our toolbox right now to protect babies. Yeah. Sure. And this is something I guess I, I never really understood, but there's a new vaccine every year, right? Yes. Yeah, so the flu 
virus, one thing that makes it so tricky is that that virus can mutate really quickly Mm -hmm. and present itself to the body in a different way. So unlike other types of infections, you know, like chickenpox, you get chickenpox and then you're protected from catching chickenpox later on. That is not true with influenza. So you could, if you had bad luck, get influenza every single year of your life. Yeah. Um, And scientists look at the patterns of influenza infections across the world and say what strain is predominating which which ones are the ones that are causing infection this year and then they create the vaccine to help protect against those specific strains but it's almost like they have to be fortune tellers you know they have to look ahead and say well we think this is what's going to come our way in six months or so let's make our best educated guess to Mm -hmm. to offer the most protection to the most people yeah Sure. Science is crazy, man. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I want to say, which is probably one of the most common misperceptions I hear, you cannot catch influenza from the flu shot. Do you want to say that one more time? (laughs) Yes, because I think, you know, particularly when you have family members that are resistant Mm -hmm. to getting vaccinated, that's one of their common arguments. Because the, the virus that's used to make the vaccine is killed, it cannot infect you. Mm hmm. And that's that's great because that's actually one of the questions we got, which was, um, uh, what would you say in response to comments like the flu shot always makes me sick mm-hmm. or the flu shot isn't effective? You know, right? Um, yeah. So that's super that's super helpful, I think, for moms. In regards to that statement about the flu shot always makes me sick, it's actually quite common to feel the effects of a flu shot. So you might have things like some body aches or some fatigue or even a low-grade temp. That's common, Um, Mm -hmm. and that's a sign that your body's immune system is responding to the vaccine appropriately. That is not influenza. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's Mm -hmm. a good differentiation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other point to make, too, is that it actually takes a couple of weeks for the the, um, influenza vaccine to take effect. So it is possible, especially during flu season, to contract influenza around the same time that you got the flu shot uh, and then have flu before your body's had a chance Mm -hmm. to build that natural protection. Sure. I think another question that another thing people say is, well, I always get the stomach flu after the I get the vaccine. What would you say to an individual who said that? <laughs> That's a totally different infection. So, you know, I think it's unfortunate that we use the term flu to mm-hmm. describe this illness because many people associate that with a stomach or intestinal illness. So vomiting, diarrhea, stomach cramps. That is not influenza. That is not a side effect of the vaccine. That's a totally separate infection <laughs> that you probably just caught with bad luck. Yes, <laughs> I feel so bad for people with these, their bad luck <laughs> around the, yeah. the shots. Can we can we talk just a little bit about who should get the flu shot? Yes. Oh, yeah. I think that's an important one. Yes. So yes. Um, uh, the short answer is almost everybody. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, uh, um, so for a baby, you have to be six months of age to mm-hmm. get the flu shot. Uh, and then... It, and just for our NICU mamas, is that six months actual or adjusted? Um, so actual. 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 Yep. Gotcha. And then for uh, for adults, really, almost every adult should get the flu vaccine. There are very few contraindications to flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that you should discuss with the person who's administering flu vaccine for you in particular. Yeah. Sure. Um, but, but realistically, this should be 
the job of our families, the job of our communities to help keep these little ones safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the more people that are vaccinated, the, the better job we're going to be able to do to, for preventing death and preventing those serious outcomes. Yeah. Sure. One question that a mom said, what asked, which was, can people who've gotten the flu carry and pass the influenza still? Is that still possible? Yes. Yeah, so if you have had influenza, um, during the time when you're sick, you are contagious to others. Um, and that, that means that uh, even someone who's vaccinated is at risk of contracting flu. What I always want to remind people is that the influenza vaccine is not perfect. It can't 100% protect you from catching influenza. And really the goal of being immunized is to prevent those more serious complications. So it absolutely does prevent things like pneumonia, hospitalization, death from influenza. Mm -hmm. But um, even when you're vaccinated, you can still contract flu. Yeah, sure. One question we have is... So let's say that we're at a birthday party with a bunch of kids. Half the room is has the flu shot, half the room doesn't. Um, is it safe for Nikki babies to be around other kids that don't have the flu shot or um, who are not vaccinated? Yeah, you know, in a perfect world, everybody we come into contact with would be vaccinated if they were able to. Um, and like you said, when you leave the NICU, you don't have control over your environment. I would I say absolutely no don't attend that birthday party Uh, I don't know that I would put a hard and fast rule on it like that but I think you have to know your baby's situation if your baby is on oxygen if they had a lot of lung issues while they were in the NICU or if they were very premature that might be a scene you want to stay away from Um, particularly if it's a large party if you don't know all the families that are there Mm -hmm. um, or especially if there are kids who have active respiratory illnesses so I think if you're in that first cold and flu season after NICU discharge those large gatherings Mm -hmm. especially if there's a lot of young children around it's probably wise to steer clear of that so can we tap more into that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because not only is it, you know, winter, but that also means holidays, mm-hmm. yeah. that means large parties, mm-hmm. trick-or-treat, you know, all of that. Yeah. How does how can a NICU family navigate that well? Because yeah. you don't want to, like, not go to Christmas, but if right. that's also advised, then, you know, mm-hmm. what are the... I think having an honest conversation with your family about your concerns, especially for those holiday gatherings, and mm-hmm. just saying, I, I really want to celebrate. I want our family to be together for Christmas. I'm just so, so worried about my baby getting sick mm-hmm. and, you know, potentially having, um, you know, being hospitalized or having pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Let's talk together about what we can do to help minimize that risk. Sure. And so kind of laying out those ground rules um, if we're going to attend, um, we want to make sure everybody has had their flu vaccine if possible. We want to make sure everybody is doing good hand washing at mm-hmm. that event. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say things like, I'll bring the hand sanitizer for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and setting your expectations, too, saying we're not going to pat, play past the baby at this event. Yeah. You know, that it's important to mm-hmm. me to be here, but I want you to know that we're going to really do everything we can to protect our child. I've heard before that sometimes pediatricians are willing to be the bad guy, if you will. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my pediatrician said to not have you hold my baby. Yeah. So those (laughs) those conversations, particularly with family members, are really uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. I have no trouble 
saying to someone at Target, hey, you can't touch my baby. Yeah. Um, but when it's my mom, right. that, yeah. that's a much different story. Right. So, yes, pediatricians, you can totally use my name in this essay. Dr. Hansen. I heard this podcast yeah. with Dr. Hansen, and she said I shouldn't be letting anyone hold my baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally willing to play that role for you. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. I think that's really helpful, yeah. and I think the idea of having uh, an honest conversation with your family is it's it's hard. It doesn't make it easier, especially if someone, you know, believes the flu comes from Martians or something. I don't know. But, you know, you it's a difficult conversation to have, but then I think that's also where you being your child's advocate yes. comes into play. Mm-hmm. And I know that Nikki mamas are some of the biggest mama bears out there, mm-hmm. so I have faith that they'll do, they'll do really well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's really just a it, that same conversation of risk versus benefit. If mm-hmm. if you're struggling um, with your mood, with anxiety, with depression, and being in a gathering like that is going to make your symptoms worse, mm-hmm. then it's probably not worth it. On the flip side of that, some people really get a lot of comfort from being with their family and, yeah. and being able to have those celebrations. So I think you just need to weigh out you know, am I able to to keep my baby safe in this setting? What value does it bring to me to attend? Mm-hmm. You know, it, and really look at it that way. Yeah, there are no hard and fast rules when it comes to a lot of these things. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I wish that I could just lay out a blanket <laughs> of these are the exact things you should do, and mm-hmm. your baby will never get sick if you do them. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that's not realistic. And I I think we all have to just look at our own individual families and mm-hmm. and understand you know where we fit into that. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I like the point that you made about how different NICU moms have different personalities. Different mm-hmm. NICU moms are, mm-hmm. some are struggling with anxiety and depression. Some need to be around family. I think that's really important mm-hmm. to give moms permission to acknowledge their mental health, what would be life-giving to them. Yes. That's a huge piece of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Speaking of some other tricky questions, uh, since we're talking about maybe being out in public, being out in the world with NICU babies, mm-hmm. um, we had a lot of questions that had hypothetical situations for babies. And listen, I, I get it, mamas. It's like you're just trying to figure out in every circumstance what can you do that best serves you and your baby. Um, but one, a couple questions we had were, were things like, what age do I not have to worry about the flu affecting my baby? When can she go out in public? When they can they be in daycare? And um, you know, what age do we not have to worry anymore? Um, and I think now that I'm saying it out loud, I realize that uh, parenting probably means that you just always worry for the rest of your life. But yes. <laughs> that's when I I always tell people I said this is what we sign up for when we become parents. Right, it's a lifetime of worry. It just changes form over yes, the years. Yeah, I would say. Um, Babies who were born premature uh, are, are naturally at higher risk from developing complications of respiratory infections. Mm-hmm. But certainly um, under the age of two, I would say, is when that risk is really the highest. The older you get, the sturdier you are, the better your immune system functions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would say for sort of the garden variety preemie, um, under the age of two is when they have a higher risk of yeah. having having those more serious complications. Yeah. Uh, we Like we mentioned already, there are some moms that have done um, – isolation with their babies and sometimes that's been prescribed by a a medical team Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's just their own personal comfort they just put themselves in isolation for three months essentially to protect their baby uh what what do you think about isolation that's not necessarily a medical doctor who said 
you know, this is something you need to do because of X, Y, and Z, but maybe it's something for personal comfort. What are the benefits of that or non-benefits? You know, I think anything you do to protect your baby from infection is Mm -hmm. valid and useful. But again, you have to take into account your own health Mm -hmm. in that mix. And I've seen families who, by circumstance, have to put their babies in daycare right away after NICU Mm -hmm. discharge. And it's not ideal. Um, And they they are taking a risk when they do that, but they have no other option. And I would hate for that family to feel guilt or the burden of anxiety because of a circumstance they can't control. Right. Um, And same thing, too. I think we as humans are are social beings by nature. And if you spend your entire cold and flu season at home with no contact with the outside (laughs) world, no opportunities to engage other adults, Mm -hmm. um, that can affect you in a detrimental way and, by extension, affect your Mm -hmm. baby in a detrimental way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think realistically if you can avoid daycare during that first year after Mm -hmm. NICU discharge that's that would be awesome and I would advocate for that Mm -hmm. but I recognize that every family's situation is different and and the way you navigate that is is really up to you yeah Mm -hmm. I really have liked um how some moms in our online group have talked about how how they're reacclimating themselves to quote-unquote normal life Mm -hmm. um there was mom mom recently who talked about just going to a restaurant with with her baby and um you know baby stayed in the car seat the whole time it was Mm nerve-wracking but I kind of feel like you know and I remember this too what are the you know taking baby steps so you you can feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. you're obviously being very very safe with your baby Mm -hmm. maybe they don't you don't even open up the cover on their car seat the whole time Mm -hmm. But um, maybe just taking those small steps piece at a time, especially if you know that, okay, I have to go back to work and we have to do daycare. Yes. Um, uh, maybe that can help anxiety a little bit. Yeah, you got to control the things you can control, right? So mm-hmm. if, if daycare is non-negotiable and you have to do it, you know, maybe what you can control is what type of daycare setting you engage in. Sure. So a large center might not be appropriate. You might choose a smaller home daycare where there's only one or two families there. Right. Yeah. You know, so you you have to work within the boundaries that are accessible to you. Yeah. Um, I have families who, you know, there's a, there are events that are very important to them or family rituals that are very important. So one couple I know... Um, their first-time parents, and something that was really special to them was attending sporting events. Mm-hmm. And they asked me, can we take our recently discharged NICU baby to this very large sporting event? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, well, let's talk about this a little bit. And I, as I as we talked, I got to see how important this was for their marriage and for their mental health. And so we talked about ways to mitigate the risk of to their baby um, to help protect him from infection. They went. They had a great time. Mm-hmm. You know, they... they um, wore him in a sling and had him in the car seat and he was fine yeah. mm-hmm. he was fine yeah. and and so I think really it's looking at those experiences deciding what's really important to you what's going to benefit you as an individual and as a couple um, and then making decisions based on that yeah so would you like what would be some tips for NICU families that you know church is important to them or going to Target is yep. important to them yep. I <laughs> would like to raise my hand and say that going to Target is important to me yes yes, yes. What are some practical tips that they can maybe implement that protects their baby more? Yeah. So, it, interestingly, it's easy 
easier to protect a baby than a mobile toddler. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you oh, have yeah. ultimate control. If you want to keep them in their in their bucket seat with the cover on and the and the sign on the handle that says don't touch my, my baby. baby. Yep. Um, you have every right to do that. And I think um, you know, for the most part, people are going to be respectful mm-hmm. of that situation. So, sure. um, you know, I think it's okay to, like you said, be mama bear about it, <laughs> advocate for your child, but advocate for yourself in that same in that same vein. Yeah. Can germs just be spread? Like, let's say that I'm walking through Target. He's in his car seat. I'm just pushing him along, but. Can he get sick just from breathing in the air? Or what, you know, what is... That's a fantastic question. And the answer is, it depends. Okay. (laughs) So different viruses, respiratory viruses, are spread in different ways. Most of them are spread by contact. So somebody sneezed into their hand, touched, you know, the doorknob, you touched the doorknob, and then touched your face. So it's that direct contact. Or you kissed someone who Mm -hmm. was infected. Those are the things that are going to spread most respiratory viruses. There are a few that are spread by infectious droplets. So um, that's like someone sneezes into the air. You know, a sneeze droplet can travel Mm -hmm. a few feet. It's not Mm -hmm. going to travel across the entirety of Target. (laughs) Um, But if a sneeze droplet flies through the air, lands, you know, on your baby's face, you know, there's a chance that they could get infected that Mm -hmm. way. And there are actually very few uh, respiratory infections that where the germs just float through the air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's what we all envision. Yeah. We're yes. just like, it's yeah. in the air. It's just a smog hangout. Yeah, no. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the air is evil. Yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 that is not <laughs> medical advice. Air is not evil. I've become that mom that gives like the side eye when I hear someone coughing. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing out? They're vulnerable babies. <laughs> that, that brings it to an interesting question that a mom wrote, um, which is, she gave a hypothetical. Say I'm in church and someone behind us sneeze. So short of burning down the building, what else can we do? Well, I will remind you that not all sneezes are infectious. So um, some people sneeze because they have allergies. Some people sneeze because they got a little, you know, itch, yeah, itch in their nose. Some people sneeze actually out of anxiety. So there's lots of different reasons okay. for a sneeze. So you can't assume that it's immediately going to bring the plague to you. Um, and again, Again, what would have to happen is that that infected droplet would have Mm -hmm. to fly through the air, land on your baby, and then actually still there's not a great chance that that's going to cause infection. It's that prolonged exposure, repeated exposure. Those are the things that are more likely to get you sick. So I would not um, freak out if you hear the sneeze behind you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I just... Really keeping that in perspective, that even so, if that happens, you're probably okay. Okay, so we should not karate chop elderly coffers. Nope, in definitely church. not. Now, okay. I wouldn't let them touch your baby. I wouldn't no. let them smooch your baby. No. You know, those are the things you want to stay away from. But, okay. Yeah. That's awesome. So maybe that, this is kind of going back to family, but let's say that, you know, going to Christmas is really important to a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, hand washing. What about, like, shoes in the house? I know, like, some moms will have signs that say, please take your shoes off, you know, um, washing your hands, hand sanitizer. Are there any other tips you can think of? Like, no kissing? It's the it's the avoiding direct contact with the baby, mm-hmm. particularly if people have respiratory symptoms, and good hand washing. Those okay. are the 
the tenets of protecting from infection. The shoe thing, um, while that can help protect people from certain types of infection, it's probably not going to do a lot for influenza or RSV or, sure. or that, yeah. just because of the nature of the way those things are spread. Sure. Okay. Yeah, it's going to keep you from getting like dog poop germs. All <laughs> yeah. So if you have a mobile baby yeah. who's crawling around, oh yeah, you know, I think that's worth yeah. thinking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. The things that I have seen in my daughter's mouth at this point, now that she's scooting around, <laughs> yes. Uh, it really. If I knew now, yeah. what I when I if I knew then what I know now, I think I'd just like faint on the spot. Don't you think though that that's like a really probably the most important part of exposure therapy that happens? Yes, for, yes. For moms, is your toddler does terrifying things, things. Yes, and they somehow survive I by know. some act of grace, and you realize, well, they're a lot sturdier yes. than I gave them credit for. Right. Yeah, like yeah. my first day back at work, I came home at lunch to see my daughter and. I was like, oh, JJ, how are you? And she was chewing on something, and she had somehow gotten a wood chip from outside in her <laughs> mouth. And I was like, I left you alone for four hours. Anyway, I quit center. my job. No, just, just <laughs> anyway, uh, should we go back and talk about RSV a little bit, or did you want to? Yeah, we didn't really get to talk yeah. about RSV much and, and Synergist, because I know that's a hot topic Yes, SNCU grads. Again, Synergist is just the coolest word. I know, I feel so, like, Synergist. smart. Synergist. Do, do you want to know the, the, the generic name of it? Yes. Palavizumab. Oh, glamour. <laughs> so Synergist uh, is a cool thing, um, but it is much different than a vaccine. Mm-hmm. It is... Uh, So a vaccine works by using your body's immune system to recognize the virus and help prevent it. Synergis is different. It's a medication that's given monthly throughout cold and flu season to help um, protect your baby. It's an antibody medication that helps Mm. to prevent RSV. It is uh, really designed to help prevent serious complications from RSV for babies and children who are at high risk. So mm-hmm. this is not something for the general public. So this is not one you should harass you know, your mother-in-law to get um, <laughs> it, because it's just not designed for that age group. It's really for those babies, particularly um, during that first cold and flu season, during yeah. the first year of life. Yeah, sure. And I remember it's it's like immunocompromised babies, but then also preemies that were born. It, there's like a window of yep, time. Yep. So it's just it's before a certain gestational age. age. Yeah. It's for kids who have chronic lung disease, yeah. kids who have congenital heart disease or other um, lung diseases, yeah. other situations where they might be immunocompromised. So yeah. it's really a very specific set mm-hmm. of of criteria. And I always tell people if you don't qualify for synergists. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. There's other things you can do to help protect your baby against RSV. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it doesn't keep you from getting RSV. It's, yeah. it's more to prevent those more serious complications. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I remember my daughter was a day two old. Yes. That sounds funny to say that she was old. To get yes. to do, I remember freaking yeah. out about it. Yeah. Because it does bring a sense of peace of mind. It does, yeah. Um, but... Uh, I, and you, I think you explained how synergist helps babies a lot. But going back to RSV, uh, you, I know earlier you talked about how it looks a lot like the flu. Yeah. How would we know that it would be RSV? You know, if, if we're looking at our baby with, um, you know, respiratory mm-hmm. illness symptoms, what would that? What would? How would we know it was RSV? 
Um, it would be tough to know. And so a lot of times, you know, if you're concerned about your baby, you know, if they have a fever, if they are having difficulty breathing, if they're feeding poorly, um, you can't really tell if it's flu or RSV. So those are the times we want you to come in. We want you to see your pediatrician. So if you bring your baby in with respiratory symptoms, I, I as a pediatrician, can't always tell if it's flu or RSV because they might be wheezing. They might be having trouble breathing. They might be really congested. And uh, so I might use a lab test to help me sort it out. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lab test that can determine this is RSV. Yes. Sorry. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Everybody, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, I will say RSV is more likely to cause a condition called bronchiolitis, where you get mucus in the lungs. You might have really heavy or rattly sounding breathing or wheezing. Uh, Influenza can cause that as well, but, you know, that's one of RSV's hallmarks. Okay. Sure. One mom says um, that she's like, am I crazy for going in too much? You know, like I bring my daughter in, like, am I bringing her in too much? Am I being crazy? You know, like from a pediatrician's perspective, you know, is it wrong for a mother to want to bring her baby in just to get checked? It is never wrong to bring your baby to the pediatrician. <laughs> never. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I always say, if you come to see me and I tell you your baby is perfectly normal and not sick, I would love to tell you that. Yeah. So yeah. I don't ever feel guilty about that. Yeah. It's just an excuse for you to see, like, some cute kids. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. who aren't sneezing on you. Yes. <laughs> so we have some mothers in the group who have older kids at home. And they go to school, and they're trying to protect their infant at home, but they can't protect their older kids from, you know, going to school. Mm -hmm. So what are some practical ways that they can either teach their older kids about proper hand washing or whatever Mm -hmm. to protect their NICU babies? So this is, you create a set of house rules in this situation. So you make a rule that anybody coming into the front door of your house uses hand sanitizer immediately, and that includes your kids. Um, and, and then within your family, you talk about when, when are the times that we focus on hand washing. So mm-hmm. when we come in from outside, uh, before we eat, after we eat, you know, those situations where our hands are up by our mouth, mm-hmm. you teach your kids to cough into their elbow and not into their hands. Mm-hmm. And then you really talk about if you aren't feeling well, it's not okay to be around the baby. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yep. And there are going to be slip-ups. Yeah, There are going to be slip-ups, and mm-hmm. people in your household, especially if you've got older children, are going to get sick. Mm-hmm. And so you just try to mitigate that risk as best you can. Sure. Yeah. I saw a really cool thing on a, a different NICU social media post, but it was about um, if you have older kids before discharge, creating a family book of ways to help the little baby before she comes home. And so yes. everybody, they help put together pictures and they say, okay, what do you think would be good? Let's all wash our hands when we come in the door. So then they all drop, you know, someone draws a picture of what that looks like and then they all sign their names at the end. And That um, is a phenomenal idea. It was so idea. cute. And I think it was, it would be such a great way, for, especially for those younger, mm-hmm. those younger kids who don't have quite the understanding of how sick the little baby is to really have buy-in um, and commit commit to that together as a family. Empowering so your older kids mm-hmm. as members of your family to help protect mm-hmm. that baby and saying, we are all going to work together to keep our baby healthy. I love yes, that. Yes, I know. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, so because we live, well, in the Midwest, our winters are fun and <laughs> you can't go outside because <laughs> it's negative 60 sometimes. Yeah, in so, April. <laughs> yeah. Some of the maybe typical kid activities in the winter here are going to like a play gym at the mall. 
that seems terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are some, you know, uh, simple activities that maybe NICU families could do with their kids that maybe wouldn't be a play gym? Are pool safe or... It depends on the age of your baby, really, and what their underlying medical conditions are. I really think that's an individual discussion that you need to have with your pediatrician and and do some shared decision-making with that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. that's a good idea. But I really would encourage people to get outside as much as possible. Mm -hmm. It, It... you can do many things with car seat covers or stroller covers or bundling to help keep your baby warm and protected. And getting outside, even just for a 20-minute walk around the block, mm-hmm. you know, we get lots of sunshine in the winter. We yeah. should be outside enjoying it, and it will do wonders for your health. Um, and and I think it's okay. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah, I think a common theme I'm hearing is, you are a wonderful advocate for your own child and you know what the quote-unquote rules are for protecting them we know that hand washing helps we know that screening visitors helps and beyond that a lot of it's out of our control but the large the large majority of kids do really well Yes. You know, no one would let you leave the NICU without understanding Mm -hmm. those rules about how to keep your baby safe. And, you know, I, one thing I live by in my life is I make decisions based on the information I have at the time. Mm -hmm. I cannot see into the future any more than anyone else can. And of course, I don't want to regret making a wrong choice. And of course, I'm always going to try to do my best to protect my children. But, um, but in reality, there are times where our kids are going to get sick, mm-hmm. and you may even get readmitted to the hospital. And just know that we have a medical community here who's here to help you mm-hmm. and support you and help you navigate that first stressful year after NICU discharge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. There, oh, sh- there is no such thing as a child who makes it to adulthood without ever getting sick. Sure. <laughs> that doesn't exist. Right, yeah. Um, if, if it did, I would be out of a job. So, yeah. it, you know, that, that is the nature of the earth that we live on yes. is that mm-hmm. infections exist mm-hmm. and... Like we said, we do our best mm-hmm. to protect our kids and ourselves as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Do you have any words of encouragement for a NICU mom listening to this? <laughs> yes. My words of encouragement are, um, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you can do this. And you have already survived such challenging things in your life by having a baby in the NICU. Um, and your ability to advocate for your child, advocate for your family, but also I'll say advocate for yourself. Um, that that cannot be measured. Um, and I know you can do it. And I'm here rooting for you. Woo! Just getting a little emotional over here. <laughs> Thank you. I know. I was like, are you trying to me? Yes. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. This has been so awesome, so informative. I love that we're going to have this um, on our podcast and on the website for years and years to come mm-hmm. because I think it's something we that moms can refer back to and we can really use to to help moms. There's so much good information. Thank you yes. so much for sharing all yes. of your wisdom. Yes. Thank you, you. Like for an having incredible me. wizard mermaid doctor, you know. <laughs> Is that, that might your... be the first time anyone's called me that and I will totally say it. <laughs> can we add it to the bottom of your badge? Um I, yes. <laughs> yes, okay. Awesome. Love it. Sweet. Well, as always, we will link how to stay connected with Dear Nikki Mama. But thank you again, Dr. Stephanson, for sharing with yes, us. Thank you. Thank you and guys for having me. We will talk to you guys again soon. Yes. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, 
please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.